BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Shall I take your order or do you need a minute? Yes, I'll be ready. Just buying a car on Carvana. What? It's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do was answer a few questions. What? That's handy. Yeah. Now I'm customizing my down and monthly payments. What? That's an exquisite deal. And just like that, Carvana's delivering my car in a couple days. What? Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, I'll have the burrito. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. Delivery fees may apply. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Welcome to today's edition of the Rush Limbaugh Show podcast. Okay, folks, might come as a surprise, but there's going to be lots to talk about today. You're going to have to listen to the whole program to get everything. I can't squeeze it all into the first 15 or 20 minutes, and believe me, I would love to be able to do that and go home. But I can't. It's going to take all three hours. Welcome. It's the Rush Limbaugh program. You come to know and love and appreciate. We are here at 800 282-2882, if you want to send an email, lrushbow at eibnet.us. Look, I have a bunch of different takes on the Democrat debate last night, and I'm going to get to that. But as as part of it, you know, I opened the program yesterday saying, what are we really most afraid of? Are we more afraid of coronavirus or are we more afraid of Bernie Sanders? And the answer remains, we should be more afraid of Bernie Sanders and the Democrat Party. But the Democrat Party, folks, in their debates is trying. All of these candidates are trying to say, like like Mayor Pete did, we need to end the chaos. We need to end the partisanship. We need to end the stress that our politics is causing. So what is this party doing? They are trying to weaponize a virus that doesn't know a Democrat from a Republican, from a conservative, from a liberal. They are trying to use this coronavirus to scare the hell out of everybody in their madcap hopes of finding something that will get rid of Donald Trump. And there's something else I don't know if you've noticed, if you paid attention last night. What is a Democrat solution to every freaking thing? Money. Chuck Schumer says we need to have eight and a half billion dollars to spend on Corona. What do we eight and a half billion to spend on Corona? Trump said two and a half billion Schumer said it's not enough. Their solution is always more money. 
They never have any actual solutions to anything. Just throw money at it. And I'm not even talking about the aspect of money from the standpoint that we don't have it or that it's a budget buster or that it's a waste. That's what? Spend the money on what? You know what the greatest threat we have to the coronavirus is right now is open borders. If you happen to be an open borders supporter, then you happen to be an advocate for the coronavirus. I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. If you want to really get a handle on a coronavirus, shut the border. Stop airplane flights from China. Stop airplane flights from where we know this virus has infected a lot of people. If we're serious about it, how much money does that take? It doesn't take that much money. And it certainly doesn't take new eight and a half billion dollars. It just takes a little fortitude. But guess who would stand up and object to closing the borders? And Trump has already done this uh, with certain airline flights. But I'm talking about the southern border where illegal immigrants and who knows whoever else attempt to get into the country. We've always been vulnerable in this way be it from weaponized ammo, weaponized guns, now weaponized viruses, and who knows whatever else. Our greatest vulnerability is our wide open border. Shut it down. And you listen to the howls of protest from the Democrats. They won't support that. And I'm telling you, if they don't, then they're not serious about this. This coronavirus, I'll tell you what's going to happen today, folks. I, I can predict this as as practically easily as I predicted anything that came true. What's going to happen all day today, no matter where you go, when you turn on any media, no matter you turn on cable news, if you get your media via internet, web, streaming, no matter where you go, you're going to get panic, paranoia, crisis, and chaos. You're going to hear about how the coronavirus is deadly. It's a pandemic, and that Trump isn't doing anything about it because Trump's too stupid to know what to do about it. Trump is too uninterested. Trump doesn't care. Trump is an idiot. Trump has gotten rid of all the smart people. We need people like Obama to save us, and Obama's nowhere around. Where is Obama, by the way? Not that I care. But you're going to hear this all day long, just like you heard every day for two years that Trump colluded with Russia— Just like you heard every day that Trump was trying to dig up dirt on Biden and should be impeached for it with a phone call to Ukraine. You're going to hear about the coronavirus all day long. The stock market, by the way, is trying to rebound from it. Stock market, last I saw, was up a couple of 300 points, the Dow Jones Industrial Average. So they want to come back from it. But everybody knows that there has been this gigantic overreaction to this, as there always is. When the media and the Democrat political complex gets in gear when they think they found something and it can do great damage to Trump. So all day long, you're going to hear nothing but Trump incompetence. Trump doesn't care. Trump is in danger the country because Trump was out of the country. Trump doesn't care. He knows he's not going to stick. He doesn't care about you, blah, blah. And then at six o'clock tonight, Trump is going to address the nation and Trump's going to tell you the truth about it. After consulting with his health people all day long, Trump is going to tell you the truth about this, whatever it is. I don't know what he's going to say, obviously. But it is going to calm everybody down. It's going to reassure everybody that their government is on top of it with the best people that can be found to be on top of it. You're going to be told that there's no reason to panic. 
You're going to be told that it is not a pandemic in the United States yet. That the United States has done a good job so far in getting a handle on this and isolating the few cases that have sprung up. And they are all travel cases, by the way. And they have been properly quarantined and they have been isolated and it is not spreading in the United States. And by the end of the president's address, you're going to be going, well, what the hell was this I heard all day today? And then you should remind yourself, it's exactly like the panic and fear-mongering you heard for two years over Russia, meddling in and stealing the election. And then the same thing you heard for another six months about Trump supposedly committing impeachable offenses in a phone call for which the transcript was released, the president of Ukraine. You need to be scratching your head already over this. It is so obvious they're trying to weaponize this thing to do damage to Trump throughout the drive-by media. Dow Jones Industrial Average now 79 points, but they're trying. The, uh, The market is trying to rebound. Now, I did. I opened the program yesterday asking which is more dangerous for the country, Bernie Sanders or the coronavirus. And I said, Bernie Sanders, of course, I've gotten some pushback on that. But think about it. The coronavirus has a mortality rate of 2%. The mortality rate for countries with socialism is 100%. Socialism kills every country it comes in contact with, folks. Socialism destroys Wealth, everybody's wealth except the leaders. Socialism destroys liberty, it destroys freedom, it destroys prosperity, it destroys dreams. Socialism destroys 100% every country it comes in contact with, ditto communism. There's no question that Bernie Sanders poses a far greater threat to this country and the Democrat Party than the coronavirus. And I mean to say that the Democrat Party, as it's currently constituted, poses a much greater threat to this country than the coronavirus does. And you can quote me on that and you can tell Anthony Fauci at the National Institutes of Health, I said it and see what he says. And you can tell anybody, the Democrats are doing this, by the way. You know this, my friends, your host is being quoted by members of Congress, the National Institute of Health experts, and the CDC experts, and getting them to respond to me. Me, a little old radio talk show host, a Medal of Freedom winner. Just greats on them. Just greats. They have to mention that in every question. They ask every quote of mine. They just can't see straight over it. Now, let me tell you something else. Let me get into some some brief debate analysis, and there's more of this. Because I saw something. Look, I saw everything everybody else saw last night. I saw, the, I saw these idiots trying to moderate this thing, lose control of it. And I saw, you know, folks, do you know how embarrassing it was? Captain and I watching the debate, and after two video shots of those candidates standing with their hands raised, 
We sort of look at each other. What the hell is this? Why are they raising their hands? These are candidates for the president asking for permission to speak, to respond. I said, for, this is out of whack. It's the media ought to be raising their hands, asking for questions. You contrast this. What you saw last night when all these Democrats raised it, can I go next? Me, notice me. Notice. Hey, I want to respond. I want to respond. Hey, ask me a question. You're not giving me long enough to talk. You think that would ever happen with Donald Trump on a debate stage? Donald Trump, when he conducts a press conference, you don't even see the media. Donald Trump has come up with a brilliant way of doing press conferences. They're outside on the way to the Marine One helicopter, and the camera is never on the media. You never see them. The only thing you see is him. And he's the one pointing at the media, telling them when to go. Looks like he's conducting an orchestra. It's brilliant. He doesn't raise his hand and ask for permission like these people on that stage. What in the world was that? That was, I'm telling you, folks, it was, it was, it nauseating to me to see people campaigning to be president raising their hands to ask the media permission to speak. And I know everybody saw that, and I know everybody saw the the, the CBS moderators lose control. Everybody saw that. And everybody saw what they saw, what's being ripped. But I saw some different things. And I'll tell you what one of the most telling things in that debate last night was. The Democrat Party and the Democrat candidates on that stage last night in Charleston, South Carolina, made it clear as a bell that they don't want Bernie to get the nomination. Not because he's a socialist. They don't object to that. They don't object to Bernie's madcap socialist communist ideas. Their problem with Bernie is they know he's going to lose. That's the only reason they oppose Bernie Sanders. This is what was abundantly clear. They didn't lay a glove on Bernie last night. They didn't touch him last night, and he's the front runner. They had to go get him. You know, Plugs is out there saying that guns have killed half the population. He's still got Clyburn's endorsement today because Clyburn has to maintain his position in a Democrat establishment. So that when Bernie wins a nomination, Clyburn can say, hey, I did everything I could to stop Bernie in South Carolina. I endorsed this guy. Plugs had no chance, but I still did it for the party. You can't throw me overboard. That's why he did it. These people do not oppose Bernie Sanders for his socialism. They don't oppose him for his communism. They oppose him because they don't think he's going to win. That was the most telling thing of all to me last night. And there were a lot of things that stood out. And I'm going to tell you about them after I take a break and catch my breath here. Don't go away. I'm going to tell you something else, I think. I think that the Democrat Party and all these public speaking like Pelosi, Schumer, media, I don't think they're really that worried about the coronavirus because if they were, they'd be going about this an entirely different way. If they were really worried about this, they would not be trying to weaponize this as a way to end Trump's presidency or to blame it all on him. They'd be worried about getting it and they'd be demanding that somebody do something to protect and save everybody. They're not doing that. 
You know, th- this is the point. They keep talking about we need to end the partisanship. We need to end the chaos. We need to we need to we need to get back where things are peaceful. Now we got this supposedly deadly pandemic virus. And what are they doing about it? Nothing. But trying to say this is why another reason we got to get rid of Donald Trump. They don't even believe it yet that it's that big. It's just the latest thing that's come along that gives them hope that somehow they can get him thrown out of office before the next election. Let me give an example of the kind of stuff going on at 12.05 this afternoon, right as this program began, the FDA, an anonymous person, the FDA, Food and Drug Administration, warned the coronavirus is on the cusp of a pandemic. I'm sorry, it is not a pandemic yet in the United States. There are 57 cases. They're all known and contained. 1205, FDA official warns coronavirus on the cusp of a pandemic. At that time, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up 300 points. It's now down to being up 65 points. Do not doubt me. The forces arrayed against Donald Trump are doing everything they can to weaponize this, to harm the economy, to harm the stock market in hopes of harming President Trump. The people doing this do not present the profile of people seriously worried about a pandemic disease. And they need to be called out on it. Let's go to audio soundbite number one here just to illustrate how my name, your beloved host, is being quoted even on Capitol Hill this morning. House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing on Trump's 2021 budget request. The Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar testified. And here is Mark Pocan, Democrat, Wisconsin, asking Azar about the coronavirus and Azar's reaction. We have heard Larry Kudlow say it's contained. We have heard Rush Limbaugh, a Medal of Freedom winner and White House surrogate, say it's no worse than the common cold. And yet we have also heard from CDC officials not a question if this will happen anymore, but rather a question of exactly when. And Dr. Fauci, who many of us really respect, said it's inevitable this will come to the United States. The risk right now is very low to Americans. As Larry Kudlow said, from a public health perspective, we technically are in a state of containment in the United States. But we have always been clear that, number one, that could change rapidly. And from the outset, I and the public health experts have said we fully expect we will see more cases here in the United States. Risk right now is very low. It's not a pandemic. It's just a panic. A created, coordinated, media-driven, Democrat Party-sponsored panic. People are smart enough. They hear this thing's floating around. People smart enough to do what it takes to protect themselves. But see, the media thinks you're not capable of protecting. You're not capable of... of, of uh, you, 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 if, you can't stop from getting this virus because Donald Trump. If Donald Trump's president, you're going to get it. You may die. That's why we got rid of Donald Trump, because Donald Trump doesn't care. And Donald Trump is incompetent. And Donald Trump wasn't even in the country when this thing, he was over in India and so forth. Donald Trump doesn't even care about you, whatever the hell these people are trying to say today. 
it's all rooted in the fact you have no idea how to take care of yourself. You have no idea how to fend for yourself. You have no idea. If you get it, you're going to die. They're, do- they're trying to make everybody think this stuff. Um, last night, Fredo Cuomo had the director, National Institute for Health, Anthony Fauci, on. Once again, he, I'm not going to play the bite, but he's quoting me. Limbaugh says it's no big deal, just a common cold. What do you think about that, Mr. Fauci? Well, right now, we're pretty well prepared for what's going on right now. We have... 14 cases in the United States that are travel-related, 12 are travel, two are spouses. The rest are individuals we actually evacuated from the uh, Diamond Princess ship in Yokohama. So the idea of identification, isolation, and contact tracing has been successful in the limited number of individuals oh, we so have. So there's a second government official. We're prepared. Everybody is prepared. The risk right now is low. It may get worse. All I'm trying to do is illustrate that we're nowhere near the level in this thing that the media and the Democrat Party are trying to convince you we are at today. And they're doing that. Trying to make it look like this thing has snuck up on us because Trump doesn't care. He's not even smart enough to know that there was a coronavirus out there. And then he's not smart enough to know what to do about it because he has dumb people working for him. That that That's essentially the message out there. And you just wait till the press conference 6 o'clock back in a second. Yeah, by the way, in addition to Soundbites 4 and 5, have number 24 standing by. That'd be Pelosi. I want to play you a couple of more bites here. Uh... Uh, going back to CNN, I'm, I'm going to play you a bite of Fredo, because Fredo's question is nothing more than a 25-second attack on me and asking these guys to respond to it. Uh, Rush Limbaugh says this is a common cold. Rush Limbaugh says this. What, 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 what do you think of that? And then these guys answer. Now, it's their answer. Sanjay Gupta is the medical expert, whatever, at CNN. And uh, so you've heard Limbaugh say that, that, that it's not bad, but people are walking around with masks and in and out of airports, uh, political season, uh, all over the political season. So he then says, he gets to the, what are the realities here, Dr. Gupta? Look, if you talk about the risk to the average person still in the United States as things stand, it's still low. Those are still low numbers. You know, the numbers are still small here. With flu in, in the 2017-2018, uh, 60,000 roughly, 61,000 people died of flu. The fatality ratio with flu is 0.1%. With this coronavirus, it's closer to 2%, depending on how you look at the numbers. 2% in China, where they don't care, where they don't have advanced medical care. And believe me, they don't care as much about individual patients in China. The government, the healthcare could not. They, folks, they got a billion people they can't feed as it is. Uh, I, I, I've seen video of Chinese authorities taking suspected coronavirus patients, literally kicking them out of their houses, dragging them out of their houses, taking them to camps. They don't care. They're not taking them to hospitals. So the fatality rate, I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to go out and list the fatality rate for coronavirus in an advanced healthcare system like ours may not be 2%. So far, it isn't. We have 57 cases in the country. Nobody's died yet. I want to look at the flu numbers here that Sanjay Gupta. You, stop and think of this now. If he's right about this. He said with flu in 2017, 2018, so that's two years, two flu seasons, 
60,000 people. I want somebody who's good with numbers to run some numbers for me here in a second. Because Dr. Gupta said 60,000 people died of flu. And he said the fatality ratio of flu is 0.1%. So would somebody tell me if 60,000 people died, what number... That, that, that 60,000 is 0.1% of what number? We must have had, it must be millions and millions who get the flu. If the fatality rate is one-tenth of 1%, and one-tenth of 1% is 60,000. I got numbers crunchers working on this right now. I know this is going to be a challenge. This is something I can't do without a calculator. Even with a calculator, I have to use piece of paper and a pen because I have to start how many did you say 60 or 50 looks like roughly 6 okay so roughly 60 million people that makes sense 60 million people would have had the flu over two years if 60,000 of them died and that's 0.1% so are, are those we'd have to look up those numbers see if that's right i'm not i'm not questioning dr gupta do not miss that that that's just those are incredible numbers 60 million people with the flu 60 million with the flu 60,000 of them died 150 million people died with guns according to joe biden at the debate last night and here comes a coronavirus we're not going to have a population maybe by the end of the year folks better cram all your living in as fast as you can here because between Joe Biden's guns, 150 million people a year, I mean, it could wipe out the country in two years if he's right about that. Now the coronavirus with a fatality rate that's much higher than the flu, according to Dr. Sanjay Gupta. 60 million, is that right? Does that sound right? 60 million people have the flu every year? That's not like a, 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 out of a population counting. You know, mostly the people that die from the flu are elderly. Uh, but still, you, you can use the whole population, 300 million people, 60 million of them get the flu. Is that accurate, do you think? I would have no idea. I don't spend my time studying this stuff, so I don't know. Look that up. Next soundbite is CBS This Morning, uh, co-host Anthony Mason talking to the CDC Principal Deputy Director, Dr. Ann Shookit. Now, I want you to remember something. It was yesterday... That the CDC's infectious disease director, something Nancy Messonnier, who is the sister of Rod Rosenstein, came out and panicked everybody. You remember? She said, it's not a question of if, it's a question of when. We're going to have to make sure kids don't go to school and that they learn on FaceTime, communicating televideo with their teachers. We're going to have to make sure people don't go to work. In order to keep them safe, you're going to have to go to work via FaceTime on your iPhone, your iPad, or your laptop computer. This is what she said yesterday. Rosenstein's sister, head honcho at the CDC. Remember this? And everybody's panic. Oh, my God. Can't leave our homes? When? So this morning, the CDC principal deputy director, Dr. Ann Shukit 
was asked this question, who is most at risk for getting infected by coronavirus? Based on what we know so far, the severe cases are primarily occurring in the elderly, in adults with chronic conditions like diabetes or chronic lung disease. We haven't seen disease to any great extent in children, and that's a difference with uh, seasonal flu or other influenza. Uh, One of the big drivers of our flu outbreaks each year is the high uh, rates of illness in children. Um, but we haven't seen that with this virus. It's something we're on the lookout for, but that hasn't been detected so far. Uh, so the virus is uh, not that severe. You know what else is very possible, folks? What time of year is it? Why, it's winter time. Why, we're not even out of February yet. What happens if this virus doesn't survive springtime and summertime temperatures? What if it's seasonal? Like the flu is. What if it just up and goes away sometime? Who's going to take credit for it? Chuck Schumer is $8.5 billion. The CDC, the National Institutes for Health, the CHICOMs, who's going to take credit for it? Who knows how it's going to behave? That's my point. We don't. All we know now is that Donald Trump needs to be thrown out of office because of it. If you listen to the drive-by media... And the Democrat part. Okay, let me take a brief break, and we'll come back, and I'll tell you what, to me, were the standout moments of the debate last night on CBS. And I'm not going to, you know, the moderators, everybody everybody knows how badly they did. And they lost control of chaos at the stage. Everybody saw that. I saw not many, but a few different things that I just want to highlight and tell you about. Oh, yeah. Grab Soundbite uh, 24. I forgot. I told you I could play that, and I didn't get to it. It was Nancy Pelosi uh, today. I guess she had a little confab with reporters up on Capitol Hill. This is shameful. Puts forth a proposal now that is meager, anemic, in terms of addressing. Uh, the, with Ebola, we did $5 billion. Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend it here. So what he's doing is late too late, anemic. Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. You see how this, how stupid does she think we are for crying out loud? This woman is an embarrassment. Saying it's shameful what Trump has suggested money-wise, puts forth a proposal that's meager, anemic. How does she even know? She has no idea what we're dealing with yet. With Ebola, we did $5 billion. Yeah, and, and how much of it was spent and how much of that money actually made a difference in Ebola? What is the Ebola virus? Oh, my God, $5 billion coming my way. We'll go back to Africa. Is that how the Ebola virus, do, do these viruses recognize how much money you're throwing at them, Madam Speaker? Is the, is the coronavirus laughing at Trump's $2.5 billion? It's nowhere near enough. I'm going to infect every American. I'm going to infect every Democrat. What, what, how does this work? This is asinine. Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend, what, what, what? You mean there's money left over from the Ebola fight? Who knew? If there is, it makes all the sense in the world to go get the money from the Ebola budget. Does anybody remember the Ebola budget? Do you remember this Ebola business? I don't even remember. I mean, I, but this allows them to hearken back to how prepared Obama was and how on top of things Obama was and how Obama cared. Anything to contrast anybody with Trump.
So automatically, before we we don't even have sixty cases in America, and it's too late. What Trump is doing is too late. It's too late. It's anemic. Hopefully, we can make up for the lost time. You know, Mr. Snurdley, do you remember former uh, Democrat? No, he was a Republican, a rhino Republican from uh, Massachusetts named Bill Cohen. William Cohen married the TV uh, anchor info babe in Washington. This guy was on TV today announcing that he has formed a group of former members of Congress, 70 of them, former members of Congress, to deal with the inaction of the current Congress. He is upset that the current Congress isn't doing diddly squat about anything compared to past Congresses when he was a member, which did great things. So while Pelosi's out whining and moaning at Trump isn't doing enough, Bill Cohen's coming along and say, hey, this current Congress is a bunch of deadbeats not getting anything done. We have formed a blue ribbon panel of ex-members of Congress to try to tell them how to get in gear. This is hilarious. Meanwhile, we have one of the most competent presidents we've had in a long time running rings around all these establishment types. And you whistle. it's exactly what's going to happen at the press conference at 6 o'clock today. Um, let's see. You just got a soundbite from John King, and I, I put it somewhere. I don't know what the number is, uh, Mike, but you've got it there. Uh, go ahead. You do have it, right? I'm assuming you know what I'm talking about, even though I don't have it in front of me. Okay, here, this is an example, folks, of, of, of how they are trying to insert me into this while they desperately hope, oh, they desperately hope that I'm wrong about this. And here's how they're using it. The president is saying everybody in our business is trying to undermine him. No, uh, no. I hope his friend Rush Limbaugh is right, and this is like the common cold. However, uh, at a time like this, you want consistent, clear, and trustworthy information from people in charge, not mixed signals. Like who? You want, you want trusted information from who? Mitt Romney. You want trusted information from Nancy Pelosi. So far, what we're getting, Mr. King, from NIH and CDC is it's under control right now, and it, it ain't a big problem in America right now. That's what we're being told. So as it is right now, it's not even the common cold in terms of number of people affected. Could become more than that right now. This level of panic that they're trying to create is way, way out of proportion. We all live in the United States of America with the best health care system in the world, the most advanced medical science in the world. We are not communist China, which doesn't care about citizens it will never meet contracting a a virus and dying. We are not some backwater like Cuba or Venezuela that cannot handle something like this. We are the United States of America. We are the best at dealing with things like this, and history is replete with examples of it. Where have many of the cures or vaccines for some of the most deadly viruses been found, developed, and perfected right here in the United States? And not with government money. 
But I'm just, folks, I'm telling you something. When there is a disease like this that's scorching the earth, being in the United States of America is the best place you can be. It is the safest place you can be, and it's the place with the best odds. And I think that's what I resent most about this, is these people trying to make it look like we have no hope. Oh, my God. This is a pandemic. It's sweeping the globe. And because Donald Trump is president, we have no... That's what I resent most about this. Okay, uh, I, I just talked my way through my intended debate. And now let me get a grab a phone call here. I'll do the debate stuff at the top of the next hour. This is Chris in uh, in Franklin, Tennessee. I'm glad you called, sir. Thank you for waiting. And hello. Thank you, Rush. Such an honor to talk to you and you and Catherine are in our prayers every day. Thank you, sir. Real Very quick, much. Um, real quick, uh, 0.1% would be a tenth of a percent uh, of death rate on COVID-19, which if 60,000 people die from the flu every year, or I'm sorry, in the past two years, there's 60,000 deaths from flu. That would mean everyone in the U.S., that would be 600,000 cases. So that would be everyone in the U.S. for the past two years would have had to got the flu to have 60,000 deaths. Yeah, I have a table here, Chris, that I can't make head or tails of. It's an official table from the uh, CDC. And it's estimated rates of flu, associated disease outcomes per 100,000 by age group, United States, 2018-2019. Nowhere on this chart is the number 60,000. Nowhere. Right, right. It's it's divided by age group and the estimate number of people with the illness, how many medical visits there were, the hospitalization and the mortality rate. And there isn't a 60,000 figure on here anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that would mean everyone in the U.S. for the past two years would have had to gotten the flu, the entire country for two years in a row. Why? 600,000, that's not the population of the country is uh, 300 million. So how, how, how are you getting these numbers? See, no, that's... no, no it's, it's 600 million, sir. It would have had to have been 600, 0.1% is a tenth of a percent. So if there was 60, So you're saying a tenth of, if a tenth of a percent is 60,000, then the, the big number would have to be 600 million. Exactly, sir. Exactly. Not 60 million, 600 million. Exactly. It's 600 million to have 60,000 deaths at a tenth of a percent. Right. Okay. Uh, Look, I'm glad you squeezed that in. Your timing was perfect because I just ran out of it. Now, one of the things I noticed in the debate here, just going to give you a little heads up. uh, One of the moderators named Whitaker, Bill Whitaker, was asking Biden about all the great things that Biden and uh, the Democrats have done for African-Americans. And uh, it was clearly a setup question. And a real journalist would have asked a totally, entirely different question, which I, I will tell you what that question is when we get back. All right. I ran the numbers myself here when I had time. The caller was wrong. It's not 600 million. Our original number, 60 million, is correct. So Sanjay Gupta says uh, the flu mortality rate, if you average it out among all age groups, it's higher among, you know, infants and the elderly. But if you average it out, he says a 0.1 percent of people who get the flu die from it. And he said over a two year period, 60,000 people died. It's a 30,000 a year. 
And 60,000, you know, is 0.1% of 60 million, 30 million a year get the blue. Because it, it, it could be accurate. Um, uh, it, it, those numbers could make uh, sense. But it's not 600 million as the, as the caller stated. I want to make sure I correct that first thing out of the box as this hour begins. I think I think I didn't hear it. I think I saw the corner. I think Fox is now playing the uh, the video of me from yesterday's program. It's just the common cold, folks. I know it's every because they're so hoping I'm going to be wrong. Oh, they can't. Oh, they can't wait. They're all even Fox is keeping this in reserve for in case I'm wrong. You have not, folks. When I'm wrong, they are happier than when Trump is wrong. They live for me being wrong because I'm documented to be almost always right 99.8% of the time. And when I'm wrong, they just because they think it discredits all of conservatism, all of the Republican Party and Trump. And what they really want, I'm just telling what they really want is to is to cram a microphone in the face of any Republican and have that Republican disavow me. That, you know that's what they're hoping for. That's what Obama was hoping for when he had his first joint meeting after being elected. It's 2009. You've forgotten this. He had Boehner and Republicans in the Senate in there, and he said to them, you guys are going to have to stop listening to Rush Limbaugh. That's not how things get done here. And what Obama was hoping is that Boehner, Mitch McConnell, whoever would walk out to the microphones after the meeting and agree with him and disavow me. Now, Boehner was down here two weeks after that, and we were talking about it, and he told me, he said, I, I, I don't know why Obama mentioned it. It didn't make any sense to any of us. I said, you kidding. He said, no, why would he do that? I said, because they were hoping you would agree with him. They are hoping you go outside to the microphones and disavow me. That's what they're hoping now. That's why they're asking Gupta. That's why they're asking Fauci. That's why they're asking the CDC people. They're asking everybody. You think Rush Limbaugh's right is the common cold? They're hoping somebody, Limbaugh's a fool. He's an idiot. Nobody ought to be listening. That's what they want somebody to say. And and the, the, all the better if they can find a Republican who will do it. So you Republicans, you need to be keeping a sharp eye. When I said it's the common cold virus, I was talking about as it exists in the country. Nobody's died from it. We have 57 cases. We do not have a pandemic. I mean, it's not even the common cold when you get in terms of the impact that it's had on America to date. It's not even the common cold. I at no time said that it isn't dangerous, that it couldn't become something else. You know, I'm Mr. Realville. I'm the mayor of literal Realville. I deal with things as they are, and I specifically... like. I'll give you an example. Do you know that there are already on Twitter memes, threads, and even the drive-bys, this coronavirus is Trump's Katrina? Now, what the hell does that mean? Well, what was Katrina... They are admitting that they turned the federal response to Hurricane Katrina by the Bush administration into a great bit of damage and liability for Bush. They're admitting they politicized that. And they did. 
They ripped Bush for flying over there. They they ripped Bush for not enough FEMA trailers when it was the mayor and the governor of Louisiana left the buses to get flooded and didn't evacuate people out of there. So the very idea they're running around talking about the coronavirus now as Trump's Katrina, it just makes my point of how they see that. They don't see this as a deadly disease. They don't see it as anything other than another opportunity to drive Trump out of office. Make no mistake. All right. I know a lot of you on hold want to weigh in on this. And we'll get back to that. But I, I, I now I need to get to the, uh, the debate analysis. A, because I want to. B, because I committed to doing it. Now, in, in no particular order, the, the big takeaway I've already mentioned. And here's the thing that you need to know about the debate last night. And it's not that the moderators lost control. It's not look like a bunch of school kids with their hands up. Call me. Call. It's not that. It's this. Not a single person on that stage last night. Everybody seeking the Democrat nomination. They all tried to pile on Bernie Sanders because he's the front runner. But not a one of them are afraid of Bernie getting a nomination because of his policies. They are afraid that if Bernie gets a nomination, he's going to lose in a landslide. That's why they oppose Bernie. They do not oppose Bernie socialism, folks. That's the point. That was the takeaway. There wasn't, there was maybe Bloomberg tried a couple times and Mayor Pete tried a couple times. That was it. There was not much of an assault on what Bernie believes from any of those people. Their great fear is that he's going to lose in a landslide. Conrad Black has a piece out today, American Greatness. He's predicting that if Bernie Sanders is a nominee, that Trump is going to win the biggest landslide victory there has been in 200 years. That the Democrats are going to lose the House and are going to lose the Senate and are going to lose dog catcher all the way down the ballot. That Trump might end up with 65% of the vote. I mean, a landslide the likes of which we haven't seen. And Conrad Black posits that this is what all Democrats know. That this is going to dwarf the embarrassing landslide defeat of McGovern. And by watching the debate last night, I think... I think the Washington, the Democrat establishment knows it, and a lot of these candidates, believe me, folks, they only oppose Bernie because they think he's going to lose. They don't oppose him because of his socialism or communism. Now, another observation I made. Bill Whitaker, one of the moderators for CBS, asked Biden... Since it's considered Biden's state, you know, the two-thirds of the primary voters in South Carolina on Saturday will be African-American. Uh, James Clyburn, the Congressional Black Caucus, came out and endorsed Biden today. He has to. He has to stick with the Democrat establishment. Even though he knows Biden's not going to be the nominee and not even come close to being a nominee, but Clyburn has to let the Democrat establishment know he did everything he could to try to stop Bernie. And so the conventional wisdom is, 
that since Biden is the old warhorse establishment candidate, that that's who the majority of African-Americans are going to vote for on Saturday. Unbeknownst to a lot of people, and it may be that Biden wins, but he's not going to win big if he does. Bernie is sneaking up. If Biden wins South Carolina Saturday, Bernie's going to come in a close second. Biden isn't going to win by enough to jumpstart his campaign. And there's another reason why that isn't going to happen. Biden's out of money. He doesn't have any money. And James Clyburn's endorsement didn't contain any money. So, so Plugs is pretty much finished, I think, no matter, unless if he wins South Carolina by an unbelievably big number. But even at that, he has no infrastructure in place for Super Tuesday. Crazy Bernie is set to sweep that. So we'll see. Anyway, so Bill Whitaker asked Biden how he's going to improve race relations. Standard question that Democrats have been getting for 50 years, and they've been lying and faking their way through the answer for 50 years. You know what Biden did? Biden said, I've been to the projects. I know how things are in the projects. I've been to the projects. I care about it. I've been, and I'm listening to this. I'm saying, Joe, okay, so you've been to the projects. How many of the people you saw in the projects are no longer there because you went to the project? What does your fact you went to the projects mean? And in Democrat Party politics and liberalism, that's all you have to do. All you have to do is go to the projects and don't do anything else. Just go there, and somehow you have convinced everybody that you care. Somehow you've succeeded in getting a lot of people to vote for it because you went to the projects. You didn't stay there. You passed by. I mean, you didn't live there. You've never lived there. You don't move there. You wouldn't dare. But you've been to the projects. That's the first thing Biden said. I've been to the projects. Well, how many people living in the projects, Joe, have been able to move out of the projects because you went to visit them? Hmm? Not very many. You know what a real journalist would have asked? A real journalist. And this question is so abundantly obvious that it proves we don't have any real journalists anymore. A real journalist in a Democrat primary where they're trying to stop Bernie Sanders, where they need somebody like Biden to really kick butt and do well, a real journalist would have said, Vice President Biden, you have been promising to improve the lives of black Americans for 50 years. You've been working very hard by your own admission. Yet, for the same 50 years, we keep hearing the same complaints from African Americans. Leading to the conclusion that they don't think much is being solved. And yet, for 50 years, you claim you're hearing them, and you're working on it, and you're going to fix whatever's wrong. So, Mr. Vice President, how do you explain, in just three years of a Republican administration, the lowest black unemployment rate in history? How do you explain that, Mr. Vice President? How do you explain all of the new upward mobility being experienced by the black middle class for the first time in 50 years? 
You've been trying to make that happen for 50 years, but you haven't. In three years, a Republican administration has made it happen. How do you explain that? Now, that would have been a question. And boy, would you have loved to see the... Now, I know it would never be asked. Because Bill Whitaker doesn't even think that way himself. Because the Democrat Party is in flat-out denial that life for African Americans is improving. They won't even acknowledge it. They don't want to acknowledge it. They can't acknowledge it. And yet, it is happening. There was another question. They went to Twitter. And they asked, they allowed somebody on Twitter to pose a question to Amy Klobuchar. Who did not have a good night? Amy Klobuchar did not have a good night. And Bloomberg didn't either, but compared to his first night, it was good, so he's getting points, but it was still bad. No fire in the belly. And he ends up admitting that he bought the House majority. He Did you hear that? He admitted that he bought, yeah, I made it happen. I bought, I donated uh, all those races. I made it happen. The Twitter question for Amy Klobuchar, I was so stunned at all the candidates answering this that I grabbed my iPhone, I took a picture of my TV screen so I would remember the question. The question on Twitter, originally posed to Amy Klobuchar, was how will your policy address and ensure affordable housing and education equity for minimum wage workers. Catherine will tell you she was watching with me. I lost it. I blew a gasket the minute I saw the question. Let me answer it for you. How will your policy address and ensure affordable housing and education equity for minimum wage workers? The only way the minimum wage will help you with affordable housing is if you move back in with your parents. The minimum wage is not intended to be enough to buy a house or a shack or even a homeless tent. The minimum wage is an entry-level job price. It is arbitrarily chosen. Is It, it ultimately does great damage to the job market because it causes employers to fire people because the minimum wage is often more than what the jobs they have available are actually worth. But no way under the sun is anybody supposed to be able to buy a house or rent an apartment on minimum wage. Minimum wage is entry level. And yet here comes this question, and they started answering it. And every Democrat answered it, and not one of them had the guts to be honest and tell anybody, well, if you want minimum wage uh, to somehow enable you to afford housing, you got to move back home with mom and dad. And, and the other part of this, uh, uh, how will your policy ensure education equity for minimum? What the hell does a minimum wage have to do with education? Well, I mean, Russia, are we going to 
people making minimum wage have to have to be able to afford to go to school. It's not intended. The minimum wage is not intended to be able to buy an education. And yet here are these Democrats answering. It was gibberish, the things they were saying. And it was all designed to lie to whoever asked this. Oh, I have a policy for it. I have a, your Affordable housing is something we need more than anything in this country. And, and Donald Trump doesn't care about it. And uh, Republicans have never cared about it. But I guarantee you my plan will take care of it. What plan? There isn't a plan in the world where the minimum wage can afford anybody by house. Stand by somebody number 26. And, 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 and folks are bringing out the big guns now. Chelsea Clinton in the hill.com rips Limbaugh for peddling fake news on coronavirus. Now I'm really in for now the big guns are coming peddling fake news. I'm the only person telling you the truth about it. When I say that it is the common cold, there are 57 cases in this country right now. Nobody has died. There are some people quarantined from that cruise ship. We've got it under control. There is no need to panic right now. I'm the only guy getting this right. As far as we're concerned right now, it is nothing more than the common cold in this country. I'll say it again. It could become something worse. It's not the common cold in China. It's killing people there. It's not killing people here. It hasn't gotten here yet. The media is trying to make you think that you're just as good as dead because Donald Trump doesn't care because this is going to be Trump's Katrina. And now I've just I've become a standard part of the story. Here's what I saw. I saw myself on Fox a minute ago. Here is that report. The administration says there are no divisions internally or with the CDC over how they're dealing with the coronavirus. And they do have their backers externally, including Rush Limbaugh. Donald Trump is president of the United States. He is not president of the world. It is not his job to control the spread of the coronavirus in China. It's not his job to control the spread of the coronavirus in the U.K. There's nothing you can do any way about it. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has proposed $8.5 billion in spending to deal with right, the coronavirus. The Some of that. What, what, what is anything? Now, that may sound, ooh, it's not Trump's job to stop. Do you think that's a bad thing to say, Don? Donald Trump's president of the United. What can he do about the spread of coronavirus in the UK anyway? What can he do about the spread of coronavirus in China? Other than accuse them of maybe weaponizing it for whatever, get it back at him for tariffs. Who knows what's going on with this? How do I end up in these stories? Because I'm the only guy saying what I'm saying. I'm the only guy saying anything reasonable about this. Donald Trump's Katrina? Really? Is that what this is? Is that what they think this is? That's what they want this to become? It's 57 cases in the country right now. And there aren't any deaths from it. Now, San Francisco, San Francisco over the top. I mean, this is this is kind of laughable what San Francisco's done. I'll have details when we get back. Don't go anywhere. Well, yeah, I knew it wasn't going to last. I guess all the sympathy for me is now gone. Greetings and welcome back. Rush Limbaugh, the EIB Network. Folks, let me tell you, all I'm doing here is trying to fight a bunch of people who are yelling fire in a crowded theater. Everybody knows not to do that. Do not yell fire in a crowded unless there is one. We have people who are purposely creating a panic here, or trying to, 
to have a negative impact on the stock market, to maybe have a negative impact on the economy, because they are hoping to have a negative impact on President Trump. The proof of this is that they're already calling it Trump's Katrina. And all I'm doing here is trying to stand in and say it's not time to yell fire in a crowded theater right now. Forgive me if it offends you, but I'm t- and I'm not going to apologize for it. There are people trying to create a panic, and that's not going to help anything or anybody. It never does. And it's not warranted right now. They want you to believe, these people, they want you to believe that your government is incompetent and incapable of dealing with this because Donald Trump runs it. So whatever Trump proposes, it's not enough. It's not enough money. It's not smart enough. It's not comprehensive enough. It's just not enough. It's not good enough. And that's going to be their reaction all day. No matter what he says in his speech tonight at 6 o'clock, it's not going to be enough. Donald Trump doesn't know what he is doing. Donald Trump doesn't care. Donald Trump has gotten rid of all the smart people in government. Donald Trump has gotten rid of the Obama experts. Whatever they do, however they characterize this, you're going to waste time getting mad at me if you think I'm underselling this by saying it's just the common cold, because right now that's all it is. With 57 cases, no deaths. I mean, look, the Drudge has a, a, a screaming headline. Screaming head Flight attendant working LAX, test positive. Oh, my God, 58 cases. Oh, my God, oh, my God, a flight attendant LAX. Oh, my this is the This is what is attempting to be created here. Media profits gloriously from these kinds of things. The Democrat Party thinks they can profit amazingly versus Republicans and Trump with this kind of stuff. In my mind, it's irresponsible to go about it the way they are. It's not warranted yet. It's not justified. And and certainly, it isn't helpful. Now, San Francisco. The mayor of San Francisco has declared a state of emergency over the coronavirus. Do you know how many cases of coronavirus there are in San Francisco? Zero. Zero cases of coronavirus in San Francisco, and yet an emergency has been declared. Zero confirmed cases. Democrats are ready to use any scare tactic they can to create a panic. Now look at this. Don't you love how San Francisco is all on top of something for which there is no reported cases, while their streets are full of homeless people that poop all over the place? You want to talk about the rampant diseases that might be running loose on the streets of San Francisco, and there's nothing done about it. There's no emergency declared. The best thing they can do is create a bunch of maps to help tourists avoid the piles of human poop when they're walking around town. No reported cases of coronavirus, and here we go, a state of emergency. Mayor London Breed issued a statement that although there are still zero confirmed cases, San Francisco residents... The global picture is changing rapidly. We need to step up preparedness. We see the virus spreading in new parts of the world every day. We are taking unnecessary steps to protect San Franciscans. Like what? Are you banning flights from the Chi-Coms? 
You banning flights from Asia? No. Are we closing the borders? No. You know, the virus doesn't know California from Arizona from New Mexico. The virus doesn't know Republicans from Democrats from liberals from conservatives. It says here, uh, declaring a state of emergency will allow San Francisco to increase its emergency planning efforts and promptly redirect resources and employees if there were to be an outbreak in the city. No reported cases. I'm sure the citizens of San Francisco are well assured, however. I'm sure they're sitting, well, we're safe now that an emergency has been declared. So the people of San Francisco are now convinced that their local government is on the lookout and is protecting them and is going to make sure that no cases get into that town, right? Because a state of emergency has been declared. They may take some resources away from controlling the poop on the sidewalks to dealing with the virus when it happens in San Francisco and the city and its residents can rest assured that the government's on top of it. Despite the fact that Trump is president, San Francisco is prepared. Back to the phones. This is Robin Santa Monica. I'm glad you called, sir. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello there. Pettadittos for recovery. Um, here's another example, a sweet example of cognitive dissidence that we have here in Southern California. Um, in Orange County, Costa Mesa area, there's a um, developmental center that was closed down, uh, used, to, used to house um, adults with, you know, um, intellectual disabilities, as they say. And um, the Orange County Board of Supervisors says that they're very compassionate. Uh, they're, they're, they're aware of the people, of the public's disfavor of using this facility to house COVID-19 patients. But the Board of Supervisors says that the health and welfare and the safety of our community is our top priority. And I just don't know how they can square that with the open border concept. So what are they, what, what are they saying? Uh, that they're not going well, to provide space for COVID-19 patients? Well, no, the, um, the Board of Supervisors wants to use the facility for it, but the public is up in arms. They're out in front of City Hall with their... With their oh, the public saying, doesn't the want the patients want anywhere near them. Oh, I get it. Exactly. So the government wants to set up a place where COVID-19 patients can come and maybe be treated, but the population, the gen pop, doesn't want them anywhere near. And you're saying that's awfully hypocritical given these people don't care about open borders in the southern part of the state. That's right. And anyway, I mean, yeah, anywhere. Our borders everywhere. I mean, and, and, and it echoes the San Francisco thing. It's, it's crazy what they think they want to do, but then they... This, let me tell you something. It, it appears crazy. This, again, folks, is exactly what happens when everything gets politicized. Uh, the politicizing a disease makes about as much sense... Is anything I can think of. This disease, there is nothing political about it unless someday somebody proves the Chicoms created it as a bioweapon. Outside of that, there's nothing political about this or any other disease. Meaning, it doesn't care who gets it. It doesn't target political people over apolitical people. There's nothing political about it, and yet that's all we're dealing with it here. We're dealing with it as a political issue, and this is why people find everything about it so controversial. 
So we we got the entire drive-by media, Democrat Party, trying to create a panic. You got one guy on the radio saying, no, there's no time to panic. And the guy on the radio is said to be the nut. Me. One guy trying to warn everybody, don't panic yet. It's not time to panic. Keep your head about you. It's not time to give up. It's not time to believe that we can't stop this. The Democrats and the media want you to believe that we are powerless against this because our president is incompetent and incapable and doesn't have anybody working for him and knows what to do about this. All they want is their White House power back. All they want is Donald Trump gone. And this virus is nothing more than the latest opportunity for them And so there's one guy on the radio standing up, as I always do, trying to alert everybody to who the hell these people really are and what their objective really is, and I'm being called the nut. Sorry, it is the other way around. Quick timeout. We'll be back. We will continue with much more right after this. Folks, a a first just happened here. A first in a long time. I, I have been so caught up in today's show that I missed that a new beta software update from Apple was released a half hour ago. And I knew it was going to happen today. And I was on the lookout for it. This is the first time in I don't know how long that when the time came for the beta, I wasn't even thinking about it. So into this program today have I been. That's amazing. And we go back to the phones. Give me something green up there. Where are we going on the phones? Do I have a, that'd be Chris in the Villages in Florida. Great to have you on the EIB Network. Hello, sir. Hey, Rush. How are you doing today? I'm good. Very good. Thank you, sir. Excellent. Uh, I just had a question for you. Do you think the coronavirus is the Chinese government's response to the economic sanctions that we imposed on them? I don't know. I think dealing with the Chinese, uh, there any number of things are possible. And I think one of the reasons that I get so worked up about the way the Democrats and the media deal with this is that it's essentially aimed at harming Americans, at harming this country, when in fact this virus, there's a lot yet to be learned about it. Uh, it, it originated in China. The story that we're getting, by the way, in the origination of this disease is because of the eating habits of the Chinese people. You know, food in China is not plentiful, folks. It's just not. People in China eat things that you wouldn't even look at. They eat raw bats. They eat raw fish, raw snakes. They eat this stuff at room temperature. This is the circumstances for a a, a virus to uh, percolate. It's not the the, the accurate word here, but to, to grow and to fester. And this is what the Chinese government originally said was the reason for the existence of the virus. There have been, this is the 19th coronavirus. There, coronavirus is a, is a respiratory virus like flu, like common cold. I'm not wrong about this. Now, uh, the possibility that the Chicoms might have, there's a, another story. One of the, the original discoverer of the virus was a scientist in a lab in Wuhan, China, who found it in December, supposedly. So goes the story. And that man is now dead. That scientist is dead. The guy who identified that virus, coronavirus 19, is dead. 
a scientist, a guy wearing a mask who was studying it, is dead. Another doctor treating patients in China has died from it. Medical professionals have died. People have raised all kinds. Why are medical professionals dying? These are people who know what they're dealing with. This gives rise... You know, when there are unanswered questions like this that people can ask, the worst answers sometimes surface. And so, yeah, to answer your question, Chris, there are people positing that the Chicoms have done this as a form of retaliation against the United States trade policy and tariffs. Because this is going to harm the U.S. economy, which is going to harm President Trump, which is something the Chicoms would like. The Chicoms think they can suffer whatever they have to suffer here. They don't, they, if the Chicoms lose 30,000 people, big deal. The percentage of their population, they wouldn't even miss it. In fact, some people in China might even think that it would help. Here's another thing. Bloomberg last night said something. Again, he, the guy is, I, I, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe he is this stupid. But it could be. Somebody called him out last night in the debate. You, you said that Xi Jinping has constituents. You said that he has to answer to voters. And Bloomberg said he does. He has to answer to the Politburo. Ah, oh, Folks. Now, the Politburo in communist countries is is like um, you would have if, if we had one, it would be the president and other top ranking members of the party. There is no Congress. There's no House. There's no Senate in the Chinese government. There is the leader and the Politburo, which is party people who have done what they have to do to rise to that level. Now, the thing about. Xi Jinping, who is the current Chinese leader, he has consolidated power like no Chinese leader has since Mao Zedong. He has killed rivals. He has tossed rivals out of the Politburo. He has written of this. He has bragged about it. He has told anybody who will listen that he is the be-all and end-all in power in China. The problem for somebody like this is that when things go wrong like the coronavirus, you got nobody to blame. You've gotten rid of all the underlings you could have blamed and shot for getting something wrong. This is the problem with, with assuming and taking all power. Now, Bloomberg doesn't know this. Bloomberg doesn't know that the Politburo cannot stop Xi Jinping unless somebody shoots him. Xi Jinping... The premier, the head honcho in China, does not answer to the Politburo. He's got nothing but a bunch of sycophants now in the Politburo that will do whatever he says, whenever he says it, in double time. He has no rivals left. He has no opponents. He's got nobody he has to answer to. That's what absolute power is. He doesn't answer to a single person. So now the coronavirus happens. And give, if you put everything that Xi Jinping has done to consolidate his power, if you put this timeline together with the coronavirus inserted in it, and people are saying, okay, it could be something that has been done to undermine him by somebody way down the chain that doesn't like what he's doing. It could be him doing it to undermine the U.S. and our trade policy and tariffs. Or it could be legitimate incompetence and some out-of-control disease that happened because of the lack of hygiene and habits 
in the Chinese city of Wuhan. We don't know what it is. This is the point. We don't know how this started. We don't know yet. All we know is that they're telling us the fatality rate for the disease is 2% based on Chinese cases predominantly. We have 57, I guess now 58 cases in America, and they're all contained, meaning the people are sequestered or they're in quarantine. They haven't for two weeks. They've been released. Nobody's died from it in America yet. You got one guy on the radio trying to, to, to keep all of this in some sense of context versus an entire political party in the drive-by media trying to yell fire in a crowded theater when there is not a fire yet. Journalists are really interested in giving people the information they think they're going to need to know to be... Why are they wasting time telling Americans what a guy on the radio is saying? Well, it's obvious they are hoping that the guy on the radio is going to end up being wrong so that they can say he's wrong and you should never, ever listen to him again because he's one of the biggest thorns in our side. So patently obvious. Right now, folks, I'm not putting myself down here. Don't misunderstand this question. The question is designed to illustrate a point. If the drive-by media... Mr. Snurdly, are you listening? If the drive-by media is so concerned on people learning everything they need to know about the coronavirus and all this, why in the world does it matter what a guy on the radio is saying? Now, I'm not putting myself down. It's this exact opposite. I am a guy on the radio who is going against the grain, and what are they doing? They're focusing on me. In preparation for focusing on Trump after he makes his press conference, his address to the country at 6 p.m. today. And what am I doing? I'm simply not buying the panic that these people have started. And I'm trying to tell everybody that it's, 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 they're, they're politicizing this. This is so obvious. They're so excited reporting on this, calling it Trump's Katrina. Uh, it is nothing more than the same attitude they had during Trump-Russia collusion, the two years of the Mueller investigation, the eager anticipation they had for when that report was going to come. I'll guarantee you this. If there was a Mueller report on the coronavirus and it stated that Trump did not create the coronavirus, they'd be disappointed. If the Mueller report, if there was a Mueller report on the coronavirus, it comes out Trump did not start the coronavirus. Trump did not spread the coronavirus. In fact, Trump had nothing to do with it. They'd be disappointed because they have got everybody set up for somehow believing that this is going to be Donald Trump's fault. And all I'm trying to do is tell do not fall for this. It's the same garbage that we've had to put up with from the media ever since Trump was elected. And by the way, it's the same garbage that we conservatives and Republicans have had to put up with the media for the last 30 years. They went after George W. Bush this way. They went after George H.W. Bush this way. They go after every They went after Newt Gingrich this way. They've gone after me this way for 30 years. There's nothing really new about it. Other than on this, they're taking something that could be an ultimately serious problem, however this thing manifests itself in this country, and they're, they're, they're politicizing it. They're weaponizing it for the purposes somehow of only being harmful to Republicans and Donald Trump.
I was thinking during the break, how did how did Obama avoid it? There was this Ebola threat during the Obama administration. It wasn't it wasn't that big, but it was it was out there. Some Ebola virus got loose in Africa. So what did Obama, the first thing Obama did was announce a five billion dollar plan to deal with. And that's all it took. Like it does with everything else, liberal or, 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 or socialist, just say you care about it and it's magic. You don't have to do a damn thing about it. You don't have to solve anything. You don't have to fix anything. All you have to do is throw some money at it and people assume that you've done something and that you care. So Obama named an Ebola czar and spent $5 billion. And that was it. Trump has said there will not be a coronavirus czar. Now, an Ebola czar is nothing more than a PR move. What's the Ebola czar going to do that the NIH can't do or that the CDC can't do? He's just going to ride herd on it. The Ebola czar does not have any powers to get rid of Ebola or to cure Ebola or to even spot Ebola before anybody else. It's strictly a PR move. And since the media was guaranteed not to let Obama fail or even be criticized for anything, whatever Obama did became the gold standard. So Obama spends $5 billion on Ebola. Trump announces $2.5 million for coronavirus. It's not enough. And if I see Donang Dick one more time on TV whining and moaning about how unprepared we are and how unserious Trump is and how dangerously exposed we are, I'm going to have a fit. Guys lying about his service in Vietnam, never there, trying to get all kinds of valor and heroism for it. And this pencil neck junior geek guy gets to go on television every day talking about Trump being unfit, unprepared, unaware. It just drives me crazy, folks. I don't, I, and I don't mind being one of, I'm not the only voice against it. I don't mind being one of the few to, uh, to go against the grain. But don't let anybody tell you that I have relegated this thing to some far off corner where we shouldn't be concerned about it. That is not at all what I have said. I have not implied it. And that's what they are trying to make you believe that I have said. Because at the end of this, they desperately want to be able to run news story after news story after news story saying Limbaugh was wrong. And all I am is a guy on the radio. Speaking of this, you watched the debate last night. Today's Democrat is a person who has been yelling Russia, Russia, Russia for three years, going on four. Russia, 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 meddling in our elections, Russia, Russia. And now I'm about to nominate a communist to run for the presidency from their party. Did you notice something else? We've had a Washington Post story. I found this really fascinating last night. We've had a Washington Post story say that Vladimir Putin and the Russians are trying to meddle in this 2020 election because they'd like to see Bernie Sanders elected. Michael Bloomberg mentions this last night. And he got practically booed off the stage. Now, how does that happen? After three years of lies and misrepresentations about Donald Trump being a traitor, about Donald Trump 
colluding with Russia? All of these lies, all of these media stories for two years guaranteeing that Trump meddled, that Trump colluded, that he was an agent of Putin's. No evidence ever. Washington Post has a story about the Russians wanting Bernie Sanders to win, and Bloomberg calls him out on it, and they boo Bloomberg. How does that happen? Why do they not take Russians meddling with Bernie Sanders seriously all of a sudden? Now, Bloomberg was clumsy the way he did it, but he still made the point, well, Bernie, I see the Russians are trying to get you elected. And the place booed Bloomberg. So does that mean Russians meddling when Democrats are running is not a big deal? It's not a problem? What does that mean? Because whenever the Russians are mentioned with Trump, the Democrats go bonkers. Democrat voters, Democrat candidates, Democrats, they go bonkers. The media goes bonkers. Yet the Washington Post runs a story saying that Putin wants Bernie elected. And Bloomberg points it out and gets booed for it. That was just odd to me. I, in fact, let me let me see if by chance. Well, you know what? I'll look for it when we when we get to the break. I don't know that we uh, we have that. We have Bloomberg saying he bought the Democrat. Come on, grab somebody number sixteen. This is funny. This is Bloomberg admitting that he bought the two thousand the two thousand eighteen midterms for the Democrats. Uh, last night, live CBS debate. Listen to this. Let's just go on the record. They talked about 40 Democrats. 21 of those were people that I spent $100 million to help elect. All of the new Democrats that came in and put Nancy Pelosi in charge and gave the Congress the ability to control this president, I, bought, I, I got them. I bought him. I, I, I got him. I bought him. He's trying to get credit from the Democrats for being on their side. They don't think he's a real... A Democrat. Somebody just accused him of being not trustworthy because he was a Republican as mayor of New York City. So he didn't like that. So he said, "No, no, no! I gave you guys your Democrat majority. I bought. Uh, I, I, uh, I got him. I did it." Everybody's talking about how the media, the moderators, lost control. Of the debate last night. And they did. But the thing, again, that struck me was these guys actually running around, all these people on stage with their hands up, asking to be called on. It was it was embarrassing. It was demeaning, I thought. And it certainly was not presidential. And it's not something that you would uh, you would see Trump doing. Let me grab a, a quick phone call here. Uh, Troy, Missouri. Alice, I'm I'm glad you called. Glad you waited. Welcome to the EIB Network. Hello. Hello. My prayers are with you. As a resident of Realville, I can't believe I'm talking to my mayor. My question... My office door is open to anybody every day. My question is, how many people die in vehicle accidents every year? About 50,000. The wheel, the wheel in this country kills 50,000 people a year. Okay, they're trying to scare us to death with the coronavirus. When are they going to go after this? Well, you're 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 making my point that they're 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 hoping somehow to turn this into a political liability for Donald Trump. 
Tucker Carlson had a guest from the administration said everything they're doing is in Trump time. Meaning what? Everything you're doing is in Trump time. What's that mean? Well, I think it means he doesn't waste time. Oh, 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 oh. Well, that's that's true. Let me let me uh, let me reissue a sort of prediction I made earlier today. This happened in the first hour. And the first half of it is already coming true. I predicted it all day long. You're going to see nothing, no matter where you go for news, if you stream it, if you watch it on cable, over the air, however you get your news, it's going to be in a never-ending panic. It's going to feature Democrats claiming we're unprepared, we're ill-equipped, Donald Trump is not doing enough, Donald Trump hasn't spoken yet, Donald Trump doesn't care, whatever. Then Trump, and everybody's going to get all worked up into a frenzy, then Trump is going to give his address to the nation at 6 p.m., And it's going to calm everybody down. It's going to be filled with logic and reason. It is going to make everybody understand that we're on top of it. And when it's all over, everybody is going to feel embarrassed that they ended up getting all worked up, that they let the media get them all worked up about it. That is what's going to happen. What do you think Trump's going to say at 6 o'clock? You think he's going to say, we've lost control, leave the country now, we can't protect you? Trump going to say, I've done everything I can, but the Democrats are right. The disease is going to wipe us out. The best chance you've got is to leave. Maybe go to Venezuela. Is that what he's going to say? Is Donald Trump going to say, I regret going to India because I went to India, the virus got into America. If I had been here, the virus would not have come because it would have been afraid of me. But I left the country. I left you exposed. I feel very bad. I'm going to resign. Is that what he's going to do? No and no and no. He's going to do the exact opposite. And let me take a brief time out. We'll come back. We'll continue after this. Hang on, folks. Haven't I always told you that when it's time to panic, I will tell you? And I've never told you yet. In 30 plus years, I've never told you it's time to panic. Hey, folks, there was a special election last night. The drive-by media is not telling you about this special election. It was in Kentucky. The 99th Congressional District in Kentucky. The Democrats have held this seat for 33 years. Registered Democrats in this district, Kentucky 99, outnumber Republicans by double digits. And guess what happened? Republican Richard White won the special election last night to represent parts of eastern Kentucky in the House of Representatives. This seat was left vacant by Democrat Rocky Adkins. He moved on late last year to serve as senior advisor to the governor. Now, why wasn't this considered a bellwether? Why wasn't the media out looking at it? Boy, I tell you what, this is a lifelong Democrat seat. 
33 years. If the Republicans win this one, it could be a bellwether. Could signal the end of the Democrat Party. Could signal a big day for Donald Trump and Election Day. Not a word. A story the drive-by media will ignore all day. 33 years the Democrats held the seat, the Kentucky 99th District, and the Republicans picked it up in a special election in Florida. Two Florida Democrats have filed a lawsuit to keep Bernie Sanders off the ballot. As part of their effort to keep the Castro-loving Bernie from losing Florida, two Tallahassee Democrats are suing to keep him off the Florida ballot under the premise he's not a Democrat. Their argument is that Bernie isn't a Democrat. He's an independent Florida's Democrat primary is close to non-Democrats. I can't imagine the suit's going to go anywhere. But still, two Florida Democrats so convinced that Bernie is going to get wiped out that they're trying to keep him off the Florida primary ballot. And again, this gives me another opportunity to mention an observation I made last night. You know, everybody was there to try to knock Bernie off the perch. Everybody tried to hit Bernie. I don't think anybody laid a glove on him. Now, I should say, I just saw some polling data has Biden way up. I mean, winning big in South Carolina. I don't think it's going to matter even if he does, other than to gum things up for a while. But these Democrats that were trying to hit Bernie last night were not hitting him for what he believes. They weren't hitting him on his pot. Buddha judged it a couple times, but for the most part, they were hitting Bernie because they are afraid he's going to lose. It's a big deal that they don't disagree fundamentally with his policies. So I checked the uh, checked the email uh, during the break. Rush, uh, why why haven't you talked about Buddha judge much? Uh, the Democratic. <laughs> what is there left to say, folks? Uh. I'm the only one talking about the truth that cannot be spoken. Buddha Judge does have a prayer in South Carolina uh, because, it, I mean, Clyburn said so. Clyburn said there just isn't uh, the understanding for uh, sexual orientation of Mayor Pete, a generational thing uh, with African Americans. I mean, it is what it is. And I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with creating the circumstance. I had nothing to do with making the circumstance. I'm just sitting here, one of the few people, talking about the truth that cannot be spoken. And in fact, I do that about a lot of things, doing it about the coronavirus today. Here, I want you to hear this. Cookie went and got this. This, for some reason, this really fascinates me. Maybe I'm making a bigger deal out of it than I should. But this this is Bloomberg attempting. He, he he knew he had to do something to score big points, and this is how he tried to do it last night. I think that Donald Trump thinks it would be better if he's president. I do not think so. Vladimir Putin thinks that Donald Trump is, should be president of the United States, and that's why Russia is helping you get oh, elected so Mr. you'll Bloomberg. lose to him. Now, why is it? Do you hear that? You hear all that booing? 
The Washington Post reported that that Russia, that Putin wants crazy Bernie to get elected. Okay, so Bloomberg mentions it, and they boo it. I thought the Russians meddling in our elections was a bad thing. I thought it was very, very dangerous. I thought it was really something to be very, very, very concerned about, very vigilant about. I thought it was something very horrible. Now, a major newspaper has said that the Russians want crazy Bernie to win. Bloomberg points it out, and he gets booed for pointing it out. Yet all those times, the media and others claimed that the Russians wanted Trump to win, and they stood up and they applauded, and they had a special counsel to investigate it? Here's John in Bryant, Texas. We head back to the phones. Great to have you, sir. Hello. Yeah, hi, Rush. I got a couple of things on uh, both treating and preventing the coronavirus and also on how much to spend on the research. Um, a little background, vitamin D uh, produces antimicrobial peptides when you get your blood levels over 50 nanograms per milliliter. Uh, when I first looked into this about 10 years ago, it was uh, the 95th percentile in North America was in the 20s, the mid-20s. So uh, a doctor out in California observed that a whole wing of his patients who were getting massive doses of vitamin D to treat schizophrenia noticed that none of them, including himself, got uh, the flu that year because of the uh, the high dose of vitamin D. So that paper was published since 2008. Wait a minute. I thought vitamin D was the sun. It is the sun. Well, how do you... I didn't think there was a vitamin D supplement. I think you had to be in the sun to get vitamin D. Well, no. Well, you don't have to be in the sun. You can take a supplement and go under some kind of a... Uh, uh, All right. Well, whatever. Okay, this, in any event... Uh, okay, so massive doses of vitamin D to deal with schizophrenics prevented people from getting the flu. Yep. And so he wrote a paper on it and proved that... Uh, so what are you saying? We should all start massively dosing vitamin D? Exactly. And here's what happens. Well, now, I can't do that. Wait a No, no, no. I can't do that. The, the, the man, look, I have to, he claims he's a pharmacist, and I know he may be trying to help. I can't do that. I cannot prescribe medicine. I can't let anybody prescribe medicine. I can't let anybody prescribe medical cures or treatments on this program. I can't do it. Because anybody can call here and say anything. And I don't know what massive doses of vitamin D would do to anybody. I'm not a health freak. I'm not a health nut in that sense. I don't take vitamins. Because I know I get enough of them in my daily routine. But I know people that swallow the damn things like they are water. So it's up to you. Do what you want. But I am I, I can't I'm I'm not I, I can't, folks. I can't have somebody call and say take massive doses of vitamin D to avoid coronavirus. Um when I don't know who the caller is. I don't mean to be insulting to the caller, but I can't I can't do that. Steve in Wichita. Welcome, sir. Great to have you on the program. Hi. Rush, you sound great. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That gives us all that. We feel good when you sound good. Um, I disagreed with you the other day when you characterized the 2% as not being very high. And the reason I did is I've been reading so much about the coronavirus because it's kind of killing my business right now. So, uh, What is your business? I'm a photographer, and I photograph products. And since China makes so many of the products that I photograph, I can't get my hands on them. Ah, okay. Factories are all closed, so. That's you know, true. Kind of dead in the water here, you know. But anyway, uh, 
is a pretty high mortality rate. If you look at um, the Spanish flu of 1918, that was between 2 and 3%, and that was the deadliest pandemic worldwide. I mean, when you say it like uh, 98% of the people are going to survive, that sounds pretty good, but if you consider uh, 2% was the exact same amount pretty much as the, the worst. Well, let's look at the flu numbers in the United States. In the, in the, yeah, Cause I've got them here. The flu numbers in the United States, one tenth of 1% die. So if right. you, that, that's 60,000, 30,000 a year, basically. These are numbers 2018, right. 2019. The yeah. majority of the ones who die are age four to five and 65 and older, very young mm-hmm. and the elderly. The, within the, uh, the middle demographics, the, the, the death rate is is uh, hard to it, – it's there, but it's it's not the anywhere near the majority of the number of people. But 0.1% is the American influence death rate. We don't know what the American death rate for coronavirus is because there haven't been any yet. That, that, that's true, but my point was characterizing 2% as not being a lot – uh, that's just not true. I mean, two percent would be devastating, if we, if, especially if this thing is anywhere near as contagious as they make it sound. If you know people are asymptomatic and they're able to spread to people without symptoms, I mean, you could feel fine and go to Walmart, and who knows how many people you could you could uh, spread this disease to. And then also, the symptoms are uh, just like the cold and the flu. So you could, for some people, it's real mild, so they could think that they're not sick or not very sick, and go out and, and then contaminate their whole family and send their kids to school. I mean, it's, it's, I completely agree with your political analysis on this. I think you're dead right. They want to weaponize this against Trump. But it doesn't take away from the fact that this thing is quite scary if you consider a 2% mortality rate. At least that's the way I see it. Well, I'm not going to argue if the statistics are such that a 2% fatality rate uh, for any disease is high. Uh, in historical standards, uh, especially compared to the influenza rate, which is which is point one, but again, most of these stats right now come from from China, and they come from. The, the, I think the death toll in China is just still under three thousand, and a little over forty um, forty five thousand cases or forty seven, whatever the two percent number is. And uh, the Chinese are not doing a whole lot to help people there. Right? I mean, who contract they're not going to lie if those numbers are less than that. And, and I'm certain that we, we should take any information we get from the Chinese government with a healthy skepticism. So I, I would guess if they're telling us it's 2 to 3%, you know, 2, 2%, 2.2%, something like that, it could be more, you know? But anyway, I'm not, I just think that you should take a 2% mortality rate very seriously. I think it's pretty scary. Okay. Well, I'm glad you called, sir. I appreciate the Thanks, fact you man. got through. You here. sound good. Thank you. Thank you, sir, very much. I, 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 folks, I, I feel I get treatment every day, and I feel fine um, so far. So, you know, knock on for Micah. Quick time out. We'll be back and continue after this. Hi. Welcome back. Great to have you, Rush Limbaugh, executing assigned host duties flawlessly. Zero mistakes. Okay, Kurt in Sacramento, great to have you, sir. Glad you waited. Welcome to the EIB Network. Best wishes to you, Rush. I wanted to thank you for mentioning that congressional victory in the special election in Kentucky. 
I've heard nothing about that until you said something. I'm on my phone app, and you can get anything from what Kim Kardashian had for breakfast to puppies being saved in sewer pipes. But they couldn't mention that a Republican won a, an election. And, um, and captured a seat that's been held for 33 years by the Democrats. It's, it's, it's something significant and um, just, I mean, nothing, crickets. I, I, like I said, I, I didn't even know there was an election going on. And uh, I, I'd also just like to take this opportunity to comment on, on something you were talking about yesterday. You, you had two articles, one about a Rose, Rod Rosenstein's sister and another about Ron Emanuel's cousin or something. And they're up in these high-paying government jobs. Are these families just so genetically superior to us that they're the only ones qualified for these positions or is this just more nepotism and oh it's the it's 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 the uh it's not just nepotism it's incestuousness it's a revolving door but it's not just in government it's everywhere i'm not going to be able to express this properly so i'm gonna i'm gonna have to research but i'm gonna try the nfl uh is all troubled every year after head coach uh, openings are filled that not enough African-Americans are hired. And and they've got the Rooney Rule. They've got the Rooney Rule requiring that more African-Americans be interviewed to try to get them known uh, by people who make hiring decisions at various NFL teams. And still, the hiring rate is unsatisfactory low. Do you look at who does get hired... As head coaches, and if you follow the trail, it is astounding what a closed community the NFL coaching community is. For example, the defensive coordinator for the San Francisco 40, well, this is where it's going to break down because my memory is going to fail me here. But the head coach of the Green Bay Packers is a brother of an offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, and they were all three, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, were all together on a college staff somewhere. And it's this way at every team, uh, or a lot of teams, where there is this, like the the head coach of the Chicago Bears uh, used to be with the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs and got to be known by... it, it, it's everywhere. This 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 business of who you know mattering as much as what you know in terms of getting a job. It's not it's not just in government, but it is predominant there. That, and that's one of the reasons people want to be an elite. It's one of the reasons they want to be in the establishment. This is how you guarantee your kids jobs. It's how you guarantee yourself a job. It's how you guarantee yourself a lifelong job and a lifelong income and your relatives and so forth. It's just, just, just how it works. So, yeah, Zeke Emanuel is who you're talking about. Rahm Emanuel's brother. He's a doctor, but he happened to be one of the architects of Obamacare. Yeah, well, whether he's a better doctor than anybody else, we don't know. And I'm not bringing it up for that reason, but... If Rahm Emanuel is a prominent Democrat and he's got a brother who's a doctor, the odds are if Rahm wants him involved in the Democrat Party, he's going to be. Rod Rosenstein's sister is who made the announcement from the CDC yesterday that it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when we're all going to be really, really affected by the coronavirus. It, I, I guarantee you, 
you would be probably, well, I don't know if you'd be surprised or not, but this, this is just how the world works and how life happens. You've heard the old saying, it's not who you know, it's who you, but it is who you know. And it is where you come from in a lot of ways that determines these things. That's why people who achieve great things that have nothing, they have nothing back in them. They have no connections. They have nobody pulling levers or strings for them. That's why those people are largely resented, folks, because they represent a great threat to the existing order. Somebody comes out of nowhere, nobody knows them, nobody knows who they are, and they become prominent in a field. Those people are a threat to the existing order and establishment of whatever business we're talking about. Medicine, broadcasting, you take it, drive-by media news, politics. I'll expand on this if you want at some point, but we're out of time right now. Are you ready for this? The CDC is recommending that men shave their beards to protect against the coronavirus. Now, you tell me that they're not targeting me with this. Who's the most recent prominent guy you know with a new beard? I mean, mine's like five weeks old. And all of a sudden, a beard poses a greater threat to coronavirus than a non-bearded guy. <laughs> Come on, boy. Hey there, it's Ryan Seacrest for Safeway. Head in store and shop for all your favorite personal care essentials to earn four times rewards points. Shop for products from Olay, Always, Gillette, Vicks, and Crest. Plus, check out new items like Mr. Clean Magic Eraser Ultra Thick Multi-Surface Cleaner. No more sponges or other cleaning products needed. And Head & Shoulders Bare Soothing Hydration Shampoo, a new kind of anti-dandruff shampoo with only nine ingredients. Offer expires March 26. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary. Visit Safeway.com for more details. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, our service members, and first responders who die or are severely injured in the line of duty, as well as homeless veterans. These are heroes we all owe a debt of gratitude to. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responders, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us. We're honoring the men and women who risk their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America, with over 80 runs, walks, and climbs a year. Not to mention, there are dozens of golf outings and barbecues. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about our nation's darkest day, while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget. More than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to Tunnel to Towers goes to its programs. Never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean exactly that, free. Switch to Pure Talk today and get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and mobile hotspot. Just go to puretalk.com slash clay and claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone again puretalk.com slash clay to switch to my cell phone company, Pure Talk. 